1: Welcome to the 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your host, San Francisco 49ers Insider, Matt Mayoko.
0: Today on the 49ers Insider Podcast, we check in with Derek Deese, who spent 12 seasons with the organization and was a starter at right guard on the team's last Super Bowl champion. Deese played every position along the offensive line under legendary coach Bob McKittrick while making 116 career starts with the 49ers. He will talk about how the culture of those 49er teams started and ended with the leaders in the locker room. Deese will also discuss the reasons for why he believes offensive line play in the NFL has diminished in the years since the new CBA in 2012 reduced the amount of time on the practice field and the kind of practices teams can conduct. Deese will be followed by Jeff Garcia, two guys who had to fight for everything they achieved in the NFL and two inductees into the California Community College Athletic Association Sports Hall of Fame. Garcia, a four-time Pro Bowl quarterback and now an analyst on NBC Sports Bay Area for pregame and postgame shows, will give his thoughts on whether it's time to start thinking about replacing veteran quarterback Brian Hoyer with rookie C.J. Bethard. The 49ers Insider podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And please leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. And now, here's my conversation with Derek Deese. Well Derek, thank you very much for joining me on the 49ers insider podcast and and first up, uh, what are you up to these days?
2: Nothing man. I'm just uh, watching my uh, watching my kids grow up and become young men you know so I got four boys and it's just a blessing to be able to watch them grow and develop into young aspiring
0: men <laughs> and where are they uh, where are you guys living these days?
2: In in Orange County, in Southern California.
0: And how old are your your kids? Uh, 19, 16, 14, and 10. Wow. So are they football players?
2: Uh, The oldest is a football player. The uh, second is a basketball player, his first year playing basketball. Um, He's a straight-A student. And then the, the bottom two are, well, the third son is a soccer player playing his first year of football in high school and the youngest uh, he, he does it all
0: then <laughs> where where did your oldest play Right now he's
2: playing in at at a college a junior college in uh Huntington Beach called
0: Golden West okay and you went the the junior college route didn't you yes i did i went to el camino and then you you end up uh signing with the 49ers and uh, and what a journey you had with the 49ers. Can you kind of take us through uh, how it came to be that you end up starting at right guard in the Super Bowl?
2: Well, it, it really was my um, third year um, on the team. Um, it, it's interesting how you go through a process because as a lineman coming into the, the Niners' sit- uh, you know, system, most linemen are not ready to just come in and start right away uh, with the West Coast offense. It takes some time to understand it. It takes some time to develop. Uh, no matter really who you are, uh, you, you buy your time, and you, and you 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 learn, and you develop, and you're usually ready to play around your second year for sure. Uh, you can get some spot time if you're a high draft pick, but we didn't really have a lot of high draft picks at the Niners, when I was there, we had a lot of guys that had chips on their shoulders for being disrespected. And we were small guys that were athletic and just mean. And, uh, and that's what Bob McKittrick went after. That's what he had a, uh, a unique sense, I should say, about finding a guy who, who was like myself, you know, a guy who was missed by a lot of other, other teams. And, and he saw something that he could develop and make, make into a player. And so uh, my third year, uh, a guy got hurt by the name of Ralph Tam. He had a uh, an injury, and it allowed me to have my chance to step in and play. And Bob McKittrick and, and Mike Shanahan uh, both told me, hey, look, this is the opportunity that you've been waiting for. This is the opportunity that we've been waiting for to to get you on the field. And so let's make it where, you know, you make it hard for, anyone to have to take you off. And so I took advantage of every opportunity I had.
0: And that was the thing in those days uh, with Bob McKittrick, there was such great continuity with the coaching staff. And it was almost a, well, I mean, it was kind of a tip of the cap. I think the Forty ers always had to Bob McKittrick was that we didn't need the, the well-known guy. We didn't need the, the first round draft pick to Put together to have Bob McKittrick put together uh, one of the top offensive lines in the business. I mean, you were Bob McKittrick, legendary offensive line coach. He loved you. Well, why do you think he loved you so much?
2: I just think it was because you know he knew what kind of player I could be and and what kind of player I was and the mentality that I that I I brought to the field. Uh, I, w- I was a I was a fighter, you know and. Uh, I always felt like I always had to prove myself, you know, nothing was ever given to me, uh, no matter how long I played it. I was always doing one year contracts. You know, it was always like, you have to show us what you can do, what you can do. Um, and if you you remember correctly, at one point I was, I was being put in basically to put out a fire at every, every position they needed done. So I was a guard one year. I was a tackle another year. I was a guard on the right side. A guard on the left side. A tackle on the right side. A tackle on the left side. I played um, center for I think a couple games. So I mean, it wasn't there wasn't anything I didn't do or want to do. I practiced as a backup center to be in case something happened. But it was it was one of those situations where I didn't look at that as a as a negative. I looked at it as like the more I can do. Uh, the harder it will be for them to get rid of me, and that's exactly what ended up happening.
0: Why do you think um, you were such a good fit for the Mike Shanahan offense? You know what he was trying to to bring to the Forty ers
2: Well, once again, I, I think it was it was really about what kind of offensive of, of system they wanted. You know, we didn't have they didn't want the real big guys that were the the huge 300 315 320 pound guys they wanted guys that were small and athletic and could move Um, we did a lot of you know cut blocking and indian blocking and and uh and we were we were good in open space uh we did a lot of stuff where guys had to pull and get out in front of guys and so we would always tire down the defensive linemen you know come to come late into the third and early into the fourth. And that's where we would take advantage of everybody. And so that was a, uh, that was something that Bob always looked for. He looked for guys that could move, um, can make those cut blocks and be explosive and were really athletic. He didn't want the big, strong guys that could overpower you. He wanted guys that were mobile.
0: Yeah, but Bob McKittrick. It, I mean, he's like you said, just kind of a legendary figure. Um, what do oh, you remember? What do you remember most about Bob? I know he obviously he passed away in in March of two thousand. Um, just what do you remember? What what lessons do you still carry on uh, that that Bob McKittrick might have taught you?
2: Well, well, Bob Bob was a guy that, once again, you know, like I said, he wasn't real big on size. He was he was he basically taught that you know no matter what, as long as you believed in yourself you know, you can accomplish anything. And so uh, he 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 told us from beginning, he told me from beginning to end, hey, look, there's going to be an opportunity for you to play. Um, when that opportunity comes, make sure you take full advantage of it. And I did. And, and in life, you look for that one person that's going to give you a chance or an opportunity to show what you can do. I was fortunate enough that Bob was that guy for me and he gave me that opportunity. I got the chance and I took full advantage of it. Uh he he was a tough guy, you know. He had that marine mentality where, you know, when it's cold, we didn't wear sleeves, he didn't even come out with a jacket, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a coach. He just came out and he's like, Look, this is where, how we're gonna play and this is where we're gonna, you know, we're gonna play our game and we're not gonna show any kind of weakness and those are the things I remember a lot of is not showing weakness, uh, taking advantage of everything. And those are the kind of things that I try to pass on to the youth.
0: And, I mean, it, he took it to an extreme level in, in his last you know year or, or years of, uh, of his life. Um, I know he was diagnosed with uh, b- cancer of the bile duct, um, I believe after the 99 season, um, and he was still out there coaching. Just still coaching,
2: so- still, still coaching, still going through the drills, still you know, still showing us how to hit hit Ray Crowler, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, uh, do forward rolls and all those kind of things, but that was just Bob, you know. Um, you live life to the to the to the fullest, and you do everything uh, that you can do, and and that's all you that's all he ever asked of you. Uh, it, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times I, you know, another guy that. I think he got a lot of his stuff from Bill, you know, Bill Walsh. And Bill was a guy that he's he was real adamant about, you know, coaches. A lot of coaches can win if you have all the top draft picks. You know, it's it's the coaches that don't have the top draft picks that know how to take guys and put them in situations to be successful. And that's where Bob was real special with that offensive line. And that's why he didn't really need guys that were drafted high he had guys that he that he knew should be drafted high that weren't, and he was going to take those guys, and he was going to, you know, we were going to beat teams with those type of guys and those type of players.
0: You know, nowadays we uh, you you look around the NFL, and it just seems like offensive lines are, I don't know, they're they're not as good as they used to be. Uh, is that something that you would agree with? Is that a statement you would agree with?
2: It's a statement I agree with, but it's also, it's also, there's a lot of different variables, you know, things have changed. Blocking schemes have changed. The way you can attack has changed. Um, Guys move around a lot more now. Uh, And when I say move around, I mean, they, they leave teams a lot faster. Uh, They don't stay settled. And so it takes a little bit of time to develop. It takes, takes time to grow into, into the NFL. No matter what you say, you can be the man in college, but when you get to the next level, man, everybody is big and everybody's fast and everybody's strong. And so you might think you're ready. And and when you get into the game at the next level and you're playing against, you know, in college, they talk about you're playing against some, some, some men. And when you get to the next level at the NFL, you're playing against grown men. (laughs) So it's a, it's a little bit different. And, uh, and so I think the mentality overall is a little different. Uh, we we played the game, not only just for the fun, but we played the game because we were going to make them have to force us out of the league. And now a lot of guys they don't they don't make them force you out of the league. They they play, they get paid, and they get out.
0: Well, do you, do you think that the the way the college game has changed, uh, where, where there aren't very many uh, college offensive systems that run, you know, a pro style. Uh, offense I mean it's it's these guys are in pass protection uh almost 90 percent of the time do you think that has had an ill effect on the way offensive linemen um are able to make that transition from the college ranks to the pros
2: I think that that has a little bit to do with it I also think the amount of practice time has a lot to do with it you know when you come down to it um when it comes down to practice offensive line needed more practice time than I think a defensive lineman does um, just because there's so much more stuff to learn and so many more variables that we have to understand, you know, for one defense, sometimes for, for one defense, sometimes there's like three different ways to block that play. Well, when you start cutting down practice schedules and saying, you only have this amount of time per week and you know, this amount of time per day, it's hard to get all that in. It's just hard to get every blocking assignment in, and it's hard to get, you know, all the reps that you actually need to be successful. And so when they cut that down, you got to – something's going to suffer. And I think you see what suffers. So sometimes it's the play. Sometimes it's the, the player's bodies not being able to adjust to taking the hits full speed because they don't get it enough. You know, when I got in the league, we had six weeks of, of – Of training camp, Um, so I remember going through all that stuff and getting all the reps. And then by the time it was time to actually play games, you had already been used to being hit from the side, from the front, from the back, all kinds of ways. And so your body was used to it, to taking those type of hits. And you had seen every blitz and every type of of move that you could see from a player. Well, nowadays. You just don't get get enough reps and practice to see that. So when you get in games, as long as you get in games, when they start changing stuff, sometimes they change something that you didn't have a a lot of time to go over. So you're you're blocking something like trying to learn on the go.
0: And also, I mean, in training camp used to be when you were there, uh, it was two fully padded practices per day.
2: Right. And that's that's what I'm saying. You just don't have you don't have the amount of hits and the amount of reps. You know, when you take a guy out of pads, um, they're not going to go full speed. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. And for an offensive lineman, you need to see things at full speed. You know, I understand that they're trying to make the game safer. But at this at the same time, when you're trying to make the game safer, you got to understand that something's going to fall off. And and I think some of that is, is the play.
0: Derek, I don't know if you've had much of an opportunity to see uh, what Kyle Shanahan has brought to the 49ers offense. But um, as far as you can tell, are, are there are there a lot of similarities between uh, what he asked of his offensive lineman uh, compared to you know his father and what his dad uh, asked of the offensive lineman when you played for Mike Shanahan?
2: I, I, I think that, you know, obviously Kyle has his own system. And he runs a lot of stuff from what he said by his, by his dad. I think as far as a, as a head coach, I think the Niners got, got a good coach. I think they have an opportunity to have something um, flourish into something that's big and will be big for the organization and, and for the fans, but it's, it's just going to take time. You know, you can't, you can't bring a guy in right away and assume like, Hey, he's going to win right now. I mean, that's what you'd like to have happen. But let's let's be honest, you know, sometimes people say, you know, when you get a new coach in, that's the best time to have, have him win because people don't understand his system. They don't understand what they're going against. And I'm speaking of other defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators, depending on what type of coach you get, head coach you get. But if you don't have the personnel that you're looking for, and you have to get that personnel. It's going to take time to get the personnel in to the organization that you need in order for your system to work and function the way it needs to. And I think that's where you're, what you're looking at now. That's why I think they hit the defense so hard um, this year. And I think that that's why the defense is playing so well. And over the next year or two, I think the offense is going to, it's going to, it's going to turn into something special.
0: And yeah, it's it's crazy to think of the Forty ers fifty-three man roster. 32 of those players are new to the organization. 32 players have been acquired since John Lynch became general manager and Kyle Shanahan became head coach. Um, I guess it's a pretty... It's probably unrealistic to expect a team with so many new faces uh, to, to line up week one, week two, and, and go out and, and and play perfect football.
2: Well, I think what you want to what you have to look at if you're a fan and if you're just, even if you're a fan of football, I think what you have to look at is to see is that team getting better week in and week out? Um, It's never been, that's never been the tradition of the Niners, obviously. It's always been win a championship or it's a fail season, Um, but I I think and I think they still have that as a goal, but I think you have to be realistic and understand that them, the turnovers that they had this year alone is going to take some time for all those players to mesh together. And and that may take, you know, five, six or seven games before they start picking things up. And once they start to pick it up and get on a roll, now you're going to be looking at just adding pieces to the puzzle.
0: If you look at the 49ers offensive line, you know, Joe Staley has been at left tackle for a long time, uh, Daniel Kilgore has been with the organization for a while at center, and right tackle Trent Brown is in his first or his second season uh, as a starting right tackle, and uh, he looks to be playing at a pretty high level but there are two new guards you know Brandon Fusco at right guard and then Laken Tomlinson um who was acquired on the the day of the final exhibition game uh week two he entered the starting lineup so I mean but 40 percent two two fifths of the of that offensive line is new to the team this season um is that doable I mean can you do that can you get by with uh you know, with that amount of turnover?
2: You, you can get by, but once again, you're, you're, you're what you're looking for is you're looking for improvement every, every day. You know, you're looking for, you're looking at, at practice films, seeing if the player is getting better. You're looking to see if that offensive line is starting to pick up each other's weaknesses and strengths and understand what each player brings to the, to the table. And The the more and more they work together, the the better off you are. Once again, I want you to think about the amount of time that's being cut out per week and per season. And then and then let's start. You know, that's not talking just time only, but let's talk about the amount of time that you're in pads. You know that that time has been cut drastically. So the amount of time that you can be in pads is cut drastically. So once again, you go back to guys being able to see things at game speed which is full speed at practice and they don't get to see it that much so when you get into a game it's almost like seeing it for like the second or third time and you're just going like man you know so it takes time for a guy to to develop into an nfl player and then to understand what's going on and then also be able to work together as a unit because the offensive line it's five guys but they have to work as one They have to be the tightest group on that team. You only go as far offensively for sure as that offensive line is going to take you. And and that's that's been that way for years. So that's why, you know, when they start talking about, yeah, we we're making the game safer, we're making it this, we're making it that. I understand that. But let's just be let's just keep it real that guys signed up for this game years ago, understanding that it was a violent type of a game. And and now there's all kinds of things, studies that are coming out and they're showing, you know, what what could happen or what the after effects of the game are, which guys at the time when they were playing, they didn't think about. We didn't know. And um, and so, like I said, the fact that you're, you're making it safer, that's great. But understand that play is going to fall off somewhere unless until the guys have enough time to to get enough reps in the under this, their system to understand what they need to do
0: you you're you bringing up a subject and as a dad are you have you ever um did you ever kind of waver on whether you wanted your boys to play football
2: okay so so as far as my 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 oldest son playing uh i didn't let him play until he was in eighth grade okay um my my youngest right now wants to play football. I won't let him play until he's in eighth grade. Uh, my third son, he didn't even want to play until he got to high school, um, and and he's in ninth grade this year, and it's his first year playing. I, I'm never gonna take away um, a dream or stop something that that my kids want to do um, athletically. You know, because I, I just it's just not it's not in me to do that. You know, I played the game and, and for whatever risk I knew at the time, I still played the game and my parents allowed me to play the game, you know? So um, if my kids want to play and they understand the risks and, and I, and, you know, I, I let them know, doctors let them know that, Hey, there's, you know, the concussion protocol happens through high school and they take the, the baseline and all that stuff. They know all that stuff when they're going into the game. So if they decide that they don't want to play based off of what they're hearing, that's on them. I'm not forcing them to play, but I don't, want to, I don't want to take it away because I played the game and say, hey, look, I know what could happen. And I know, you know, I've had friends that have, you know, obviously been on the other end of it where it's turned out, you know, gravely. But um, I, I just don't I don't feel as a parent I should I should take something away from them if that's what their dreams and aspirations are of uh, being successful what they want to do, I should give them a chance to do that and achieve that.
0: Yeah, well, let me ask you, Derek. I mean, you're 47 years old. Um, you played uh, 152 games in your NFL career. That's a lot of football. Uh, what, what, <laughs> that's a lot of uh, going head-to-head and, and banging helmets with uh, some high-quality uh, defensive linemen, uh, either in practices or in games, or both. Obviously, um, right. do, do you feel any effects from your long career?
2: Um, you, you notice certain things uh, as a player, um, especially when that play. I played fourteen years, and so there's there's a lot of things I noticed, and there's a lot of things that that bother my body. Um, getting up in the morning, uh, certain days, you know, if you know, with the amount of surgeries I had, I had seventeen surgeries. I still need three surgeries. I just, I just refuse to have them done. I just want to deal. Which deal surgeries with do the you pain. need? Um, I need two shoulder surgeries, and I need, I need an elbow surgery. But I just, I just refuse to have them done because, you know, after you've had seventeen surgeries, I mean that's a lot of surgeries, especially when you're playing. And, and then now it's like, okay, you know, the pain hurts, um, but it's manageable. You know, and so uh, I I deal with that. I understand that. And and like I said, it was a decision I made to play the game. Uh, If you ask a lot of guys that play the game or played the game, I should say, would they do it again? I'm willing to I'm willing to say probably 95 percent of them say I'd do it again. Um, It's it's. You know, I've talked to people that have kids and they tell their kids, like, I don't want you to play football. You know, I know I know kid, I know guys that have kids in high school right now that won't let their kids play um, football at all. And and to me, I just don't think that, you know, as a as a parent, especially one who was successful in the game, that you you don't give your your, your son an opportunity to play the game right now with what they've done with football, I think it's the safest time to allow people or kids to play the game, you know, because they're teaching the game a whole different way. And um, they've, they've made the game a lot safer. So, you know, you can't worry about concussions because, and that, and if you're worried about that, then there's nothing, I mean, you could fall and get a concussion. Let's just be honest, you know, so, Um, and, and I don't think there's a sport that you can play that you, you may not get a concussion in. So it's one of those situations where, you know, you start being overprotective and it's not making sense. And, and so, you you know, I, I I let my kids go out and if they want to play, they play, if they choose not to play, they don't play. You know, like I said, the two youngest right now, they play soccer, you know, there's been a, a, a lot of kids that get concussions from soccer, just from the ball hitting them in the head. And in soccer, they've changed the rules, you know, certain ages and until you get to high school, you can't use your head in soccer and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things that that sports is is doing or people in charge of the sports are doing in order to try to protect uh, the athlete. And so. you, You just let the kids play, you know, it's no different from when you were growing up and you wanted to play in the street and. You did. You look back now on that and you go, Man, I was crazy to play football on the street. (laughs) (laughs) You know, anything could have happened at that point, but that's what we did as kids. And so, um, you know, you played tackle without gear. That that was, you know, growing up, that's just things that we did. And so you you know, am I gonna stop my kid from from wanting to do what he wants to do or shoot for his goal? No, I'm not gonna do that. And and I, I I would feel, I would feel like I wasn't giving him a chance to, to live out his dreams if I did that.
0: Hey, speaking of kids, do you remember Kyle Shanahan running around uh, the forty er facility as a as a kid?
2: I remember Kyle Shanahan um, more than a little bit. See, I I, I Kyle, Kyle actually was running around the facility when I was there, um, but I also had Kyle as an assistant. And in Tampa. So um, so I, I, I knew at some point he would he would definitely turn into a head coach. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. Uh, he's been grown, obviously, by one of the best. <laughs> so so it makes all, it makes all the sense in the world. And when the Niners um, brought him aboard, I mean, I couldn't have been more happier for him because I thought it would be a situation that he could turn turn the organization around and, and make things happen. I, I just know I just know that it's going to take some time, and I, I hope he's given that time.
0: Did you ever tape him to the goalposts or anything like that in Rockland during training nah, camp? Nah,
2: nah, we never did that. <laughs> we never did that. No, man.
0: you would never do that, would you?
2: <laughs> no, we'd never, never, <laughs> never do that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I know one thing about you, Derek, is that uh, during your time with the 49ers, uh, you and a lot of your offensive linemen had a very good time uh, keeping things light. <laughs> um, did I mean when you look back on that that, that time, um, it, it had to be great. I mean the the teams were always really good and, and very competitive, and um, you know maybe maybe a little bit a bit of a rough patch there uh, toward the end. Uh, but it, it, I mean, how do you look back on your days with the Forty ers
2: um, I, I look back on that as 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 obviously um, a special. It was a special a special moment in my life. You know, it was. Um, it's something that that you don't just go through and then say like, okay, my my football career, I played it and it's over with. Um, a lot of the things that you learn from how the organization carried itself, um, to um, the players in the locker room and so forth. You take that and, you, and, and you, you use it in your everyday life. Uh, the, the interesting thing about um, me being when I first came into that locker room was you learn real quickly that it's not, it's not, it's not management that really runs the organization. It, it was the locker room. The locker room po- policed itself. And, and you either came in and you conformed to what they wanted in the locker room or you would be shut out of the locker room real quick and then you would be cut from the team. <laughs> so you, you knew right away what was coming your way, you know, quickly. So you either were going to conform and be, and be just like everybody else and work hard and spend your time and, and pay your dues and so forth. Otherwise, you know, they would close you out of the locker room. And it, it was real simple. And and guys always wanted to help guys. You know, it was never it was never one of those things where they wouldn't offer advice. They wouldn't help you. They wouldn't and that and that goes for, you know, offensive guys helping defensive guys and defensive guys helping offensive guys. Because we all had one goal in, in, in mind and that was just to win a championship. So the best way to do that is is, you know, as an offensive lineman, we had to understand what the defense was trying to do. And the defense wanted to understand what the offensive lineman was trying to do. And so we worked with each other, you know, endlessly. And I remember, you know, working hard after, you know, in two days, guys would be gone and it'd be, it'd be, you know, a couple offensive linemen and a, and a few defensive linemen doing extra drills and, and things like that to get better. And so um, those are the things that, you know, you take from from playing and you move and, and understand it to regular, regular livelihood is that, you know, no matter what you do, you, you can't get outworked. And if you, if you work harder than anybody else, it's going to pay off at some point in some time.
0: Well, I know, you know, the, the last few years of your career, you were one of those guys that, that ran the locker room. Uh, when you first got to the 49ers, who were the, who were the veterans who kind of laid down the law and, let the the new guys know uh, what a forty nine er does and what a forty nine er doesn't.
2: Well, for for me, it was it was Guy McIntyre, um, it was uh, Jesse Sopolo, Harris Barton, Steve Wallace. Uh, th- those were the guys that that laid down the law. Fortunate enough to you know um, to have those guys, and then on the defensive side, you had Haley and you had. Michael Carter and Kevin Fagan and Pierce Holt. I mean, you name it, you know, those guys were, were, were really on top of it. And then when you come to the Super Bowl year, you know, I, I mean, that team itself, I mean, there were guys that, you know, you wouldn't imagine them would I ever be on the same team, uh, especially after you had seen them and played against them um, for years, like, you know, Ricky Jackson, you know, Richard Dent, Charles Mann. You know, you know Bart Oaks came to the came to the Niners. The, the, those guys that you had seen in, from other locker rooms, and guys that were stars on other teams, Deion Sanders and and things like that, coming in, and then everybody meshing. I remember when we were signing all those guys. Everybody was talking about, you know, hey, the locker room is going to be in disarray, and that's not what happened. What actually happened was the locker room became a lot tighter, and And a lot of that became because, one, the veteran leadership and improved. And it's hard on a locker room when you don't have the veteran leadership. Because there's no one to really show you the way. And I think that's what happened towards the end. If you you remember correctly, we had an infusion of youth. And so the youth kind of outnumbered the veterans. And so it kind of went, you know, those guys coming in didn't really want to listen, And so it it took a little bit of a fall. And so um, that's what you're you're, dealing with now is making sure that they have to keep a hands-on and a firm grip on those guys that they brought in that are, that are new to that locker room, but the veteran leadership has to stay tight.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think that's probably one of the issues with the 49ers. I mean, they don't have, I mean, they have Navarro Bowman, they have Joe Staley. um, But, well, it's, yeah, you but if hope. you don't have
2: enough, you just don't have enough. You yeah. know what I mean. So when you're outnumbered, it's a little. It becomes a little bit tricky, and it's a lot harder. But what what you do hope is that every year you can pull one or two of those guys over over to the to the veteran side. And the faster that happens, the, the faster you'll see that locker room change, because you know, in a, if you're building a championship team. Uh, it, you shouldn't really need the coaches to tell you what to do. You should automatically know what to do. And and as players, that's what, that's what I was fortunate enough to have is that we had guys that, that showed you the way. And so we knew we could go out and run our own practice and, and, and not have the coaches, but know that, Hey, this is the plays we're running. This is what we should be doing. And this is how we're going to practice.
0: I mean, you guys had some, some alphas, you know, yourself and, and Jeremy Newberry and you know for a period of time Ron Stone um, Kevin
2: Gogan and Kevin Ray Brown Dugan. yes
0: yeah, yeah. Ray Brown, we, we, I, I still, we, I still see Ray done. quite a, I still see Ray a couple times a year um, you know obviously offensive line coach for the Carolina Panthers so uh, right. who, who have, do though you know now when you're home and I mean how many of those guys do you still remain in contact with not only the offensive linemen but guys elsewhere uh you know other teammates that that you played with Oh,
2: I, I, I try to talk to as many guys as I can um, throughout the year you know um, it, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a brotherhood that you have with those guys you know you, you guys especially especially the guys that won a Super Bowl together you know you you obtain something that and accomplish something that a lot of people won't accomplish and and so it's a special deal but you know, when, when you go to, you know, like the Hall of Fame and, and and things like that, and you see guys, you know, it's just like you never really left the locker room. You know, you guys are still talking and joking around and things like that. But as far as making phone calls, I mean, I talked to a lot of guys um, throughout the years. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, I was I was blessed to play so, such a long time that, you know, as you go through and you look at some of the, the team photos and every year you can see the the new infusion come in and you're like, man, from looking from the beginning to the end, you know, how many guys, you know, changed and so forth. And so I, I talked to quite a few. You know, it's it's uh it's a good thing. Like I just talked to TO, you know, two days ago. So it's 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 not like I don't talk to, to the guys. I you know, I try to keep in contact and they try to check up on me and Make sure everybody's doing okay.
0: Yeah, um, I, did you give Tio some dancing advice?
2: No, nah, not at all. I just told him I was going to get my popcorn ready because I really don't watch the show, but I told him I'd be watching it for him. <laughs>
0: hey, what what kind of you know you you mentioned you go to the Hall of Fame? Um, did you go? Let's see, what have you had? Two teammates go in, and uh, of course, uh, Mister DeBarlo. Um, did you, were you able to make it for all those?
2: Uh, yeah, well, Ricky Jack and I think Jerry went in at the same time. Um, Steve went in, um, I didn't get to make it to Steve's cause I was playing in Tampa at the time. Uh, Eddie D went in. I went to all the ones that I could go to, you know, and, and, um, and I had a lot of friends, you know, John Randall is a big good friend of mine too. So it, it was, you know, it's, um. It's good to get back there. It's good to see guys that you played with and played against. And, and and hopefully, you know, pretty soon, you know, there's another one going in, you know, that should be going in. So um, the hall has to get right. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this. I'm on the Hall of Fame uh, selection committee. Um, right. And I think that, well, I, I mean, it's pretty obvious. That the thing that has kept Terrell Owens out is the perception among um many of the voters or at least i should say just some of the voters um that he was such a bad teammate you know was terrell owens a bad teammate
2: no not at all (laughs) not at all i mean he did stuff behind the scenes that, that that people don't have any clue about and 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 when i say that i'm saying it on on ways of taking care of the young guys that came in and helping out um you know guys that were weren't drafted high that you know may, may need to borrow money and things like that or whatever and he would just give it to him it wasn't even an issue for him he just helped guys out and um you know it it's stuff that you look at and say i don't get how one guy can destroy a locker room it's just we're all grown men once again i told you in college you have some men when you get to the next level it's all grown men so you're telling me you know, that one person destroyed a, a, an organization. That's, that's, that's impossible. That's like saying one person comes into to a regular nine to five and he's going to destroy a whole company. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen. The fact that people even say that and they don't know him, they don't spend the amount of time with them. It's just off of what one person says. And then all of a sudden it's just what, like, you know, Oh, this is what the people want to hear. So I'm going to write it. Well, Or I'm going to talk about it. Spend some time with the guy, you know. Um, Get to know him, and then and make your own opinion at that at that point. Formulate your own uh, opinion and say this is what he is. This is what he's not. You know. But once again, I I think he's got a couple things working against him. I think when you look at the Niners as a whole for such a long time, the the organization was what everybody wanted to be. They aspired to be. People wanted to come there. They wanted people coming there. People wanted to be be a niner before there was even free agency. You know, they wanted to be part of that organization because they had heard so many good things about it in the way, um, you know, Eddie D carried it, and and the way that we practiced, the way that we we um, we set our goals and things like that. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's one of the situations where I think that sometimes that becomes. A negative. And, and when I say that, I say that because if you look at, like, quote, unquote, like the Cowboys, you know, they have so many guys that are that are in the in, in the Hall of Fame. But when you look at the Niners, it's like, wait a minute, you know, name the linemen that are in the Hall of Fame from the Niners. You know, there's no way that we shouldn't be talking about a Jesse or a guy being in the Hall of Fame. It, it, it should have already happened you know, because you have so many skill guys that get in, but we all know that without having those offensive linemen to do their jobs, that it's impossible for those skill guys to do theirs. And I think that the Cowboys, you know, they have their guys that they put in and that, that, that have representation and we don't. And so when I look at it, I look at it as, you know, there's a little bit of jealousy there. And I think that, you know, as far as the TO thing, I think that that's, that's just outright wrong and, and the hall needs to do something about that. So if we're taught that it's all about numbers and numbers only, then TO has the numbers and those numbers should be automatically in the hall.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one of our new, um, new al- analysts for uh 49ers pre and post game show, uh, is your old teammate, Jeff Garcia. Um, what do you remember about jeff and and how he came onto the scene with the 49ers and and, and ended up becoming a uh, a very uh worthy successor to the joe montana steve young uh lineage at quarterback going to three straight pro bowls
2: well once again that there's another jc guy <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> so yeah. um gavelin you know and and uh, another guy who um who who came to the organization with, with a chip on his shoulder and something to prove, and another guy who was given an opportunity by the Niners to, to show what he could do. And he took full advantage of, of his opportunity. Uh, he was a fighter. He's a competitor. He wanted to win. Uh, without a doubt, you know, uh, people talk about him being a small guy, but he's one of the toughest toughest guys you'll see in that size. <laughs> so, you know, he's a go-getter. I saw him not too long ago and I was like, man, he looks like he still can play. So (laughs) I was like, Hey, why don't you get out there? They changed the rules. (laughs) You'll be okay. You know? And so um, it's, 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 it's interesting. um, You know, that I'm glad he's back doing something with the team and, 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 uh, and being able to talk about the team. I think he'd be a good guy to get around there and, 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 and have him talk to the players and things like that. I think, a lot of that has to happen, I think, that you have to get back to tradition. Um, I think that's one of the things that's really missing at, at Levi itself, you know, um, is that there really isn't a tradition there yet, like there was at, at, at Candlestick. And so um, it's gonna take some time. It's just, a, it's a growing stage. It's a growing, it's growing things. And, and eventually that's all gonna take care of itself. Obviously winning takes care of itself because when you're winning, everybody's happy. And, and you got to remember, you have to take steps in order to get to there. You just can't jump right there. It just takes time to get there. And and I think, like I said, with, with Kyle being the guy there, um, John Lynch understanding, you know, how to win, what's it about to win? Um, it, you know, when I went to Tampa, that's exactly what they were trying to formulate was, was an organization that was similar to what was being done at, at, at San Francisco. And so, you know, he knows, he knows what it takes. He knows what it's going to, and what's going to be required. And and they'll get it done, you know, having, you know, guys that are out of, that stay out of trouble and that kind of stuff. And and there's no tolerance
0: for it. Yeah. All right. Well, Derek Deese, I I really appreciate you joining me on the 49ers insider podcast. And it's been a heck of a lot of fun to to catch up with you and, and hear your views on uh, where the 49ers have been and potentially where they're going under Kyle Shanahan. So thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. Anytime. All right. That was Derek Deese. And now I'm joined by Jeff Garcia as he joins me every week on the Forty ers Insider podcast. And Jeff, um, Derek Deese, um, obviously has an affinity for you. You're both products of the California community college system. Uh, He referred to you as a fighter and a competitor and one of the toughest guys he played with. I I would suspect that you probably feel the same way about Derek Deese as far as those words, fighter, competitor, and toughness.
1: Oh, absolutely. Derek was uh, an all-time great 49er, great left tackle and guard for myself. I mean, the guy had agility, mobility, was undersized, but yet battled every down and just the type of guy that you want to have, not only in your huddle, but in your locker room, just a leader and led by example, just worked hard and yeah, came up in similar paths, was a junior college national champion at El Camino and went on to USC and, uh, had a great career. And I think a guy that, uh, was an overachiever in so many ways, much like myself and it was always great to have him on my blind side.
0: Yeah, and he talked about uh, you know offensive line play now in the NFL and you know of course with Derek I mean he was around the 49ers for 2 years before he got his opportunity and was a starter on the Super Bowl team um you know I, I suggested that it was because of the spread offenses now in college that offensive line play in the NFL has seemed to suffer but he said it was probably more a result of the reduction of practice time in the offseason and even during the season. What do you think it is that it seems like so many teams have problems with their offensive lines now?
1: Well, when you mentioned that, I immediately went to the development in college. I just feel like they're not developing the skill set, the tenacity, the strength at the position when you look outside of programs like an Alabama who runs a pro style of offense, who uh, plays more of a smash mouth mentality of, of, of upfront um, behavior, so to speak, you know, a lot of these colleges around the nation are, like you said, they're running spread offenses. They're not asking their O line to be as physical up front. They're not trying to be bangers and create holes it's more of a a a protection type of a scheme and and so i think that contributes in a in a major way to the development of these o-line going on to the next level to the nfl and i'm sure derek because he played the position also acknowledges the lack of time to prepare and the lack of time spent together that that also minimizes the development of what you need to see out of these guys and i think it's just unfortunately a product of the system right now Uh, i there are definitely players that are out there that are able to adapt more quickly and have the skill set to translate from the college level to the national football league level but i feel like it starts young and i mean when you look at the college game you have to go to the high school game as well because the high school game is really mimicking college in so many ways as to how they play the game. And so you're just not learning the fundamentals or they're not teaching the fundamentals to these young players at early ages to where they can continue to develop and understand what it means to, Hey, get off on the line of scrimmage, staying low, uh, uh, driving with your legs, all those type of things have kind of been a lost art. And so I, I, I really believe that it has affected the play in the National Football
0: League. Yeah, so the 49ers, it looks like their offensive line play was a little bit better uh, on Sunday uh, as they fall to the Seattle Seahawks 12-9. Uh, to nine. Uh, But I want to go to uh, the, uh, the our Twitter mailbag, a few people with questions, including Niner Nation of Texas at 49er Kin. He says to you, Jeff, thank you for your uh, great years of service with the 49ers. And he wants to know from you, uh, what the steps the team needs to take to get back to being competitive?
1: Well, I, I think that from a defensive standpoint, it looks like they've taken some steps in the right direction. I saw a very good defensive performance, a sound defensive performance yesterday. I felt like they did enough on the field yesterday to give the offense a chance to win the football game. And uh, in many ways, you see a young defensive line that's going to continue to grow and get better, and there's some depth there. I thought you saw some pretty decent play from the secondary. Uh, I felt like Russell Wilson missed some opportunities on some throws and some balls were dropped, but there were also opportunities for the 49ers to get their hands on some balls. There were some near interceptions, and those plays are going to happen down the road with the more confidence, with the more... Uh, with the better execution and continuing to battle, I see this defense really, really growing and taking strides in the right direction, being very good against the run and, and getting bet- better against the pass. Offensively, it's just right now trying to find an identity. And I think that when you look at the makeup of the team, right now, outside of Carlos Hyde, they're playing with players that are... I hate to say it, but they're marginal players. They're players that probably wouldn't be starters on other teams. I mean, when you look at a guy like a Pierre Garçon, I mean, he's had a a solid career, uh, but he's probably not a number one guy. Uh, Marquise Goodwin has just not demonstrated uh, the playmaking ability yet in these first two games. And granted, the opportunities haven't been a whole lot just because the either decision making, the accuracy, or the timing has just been off from the quarterback with Brian Hoyer. And I think those things all need to step up to another level in order for this offense to establish more consistency on the field. I think the running game has shown strides. Obviously Carlos Hyde rushing for over a hundred yards yesterday, over a hundred in the first half, much of that coming from a great 61 yard run. But he's definitely going to be workhorse he's the guy that this team is going to have to ride and and he's going to have to stay healthy it was nice to see matt breeda step in and get get some nice runs in the second half but Carlos Hyde is the guy that this offense is going to run through and this offense really relies upon balance we've talked about it before hey the running game the zone scheme how they block it up front how it gives the running back uh, a three-way type of cut or decision-making process but then off of that, building off the movement and the play action and those type of packages, well, when you look at it, you don't even see really who a number three receiver is for the 49ers because they, they don't get that guy on the field. Uh, They're tied in. George Kittle is a young guy. I don't know if he's that explosive getting down the field. He's more of a possession guy. They just don't have the weapons that, that you want to see at this level to be able to exploit defenses, and they need to almost play perfect football. And when your quarterback is not as accurate as he needs to be, it's hard to play that type of
0: football. Yeah, and I think you you kind of answered this next question. It comes from Niner Faithful at August Aaron. How much of Hoyer's struggles, and Brian Hoyer was 15 of 27 for 99 yards, that's in an interception. How much of his struggles are on him versus the rest of the team?
1: Well, I think it's a combination. It starts with him. I think that his urgency needs to pick up. I feel like protection wise, it has been good enough. It hasn't been great, but it's been good enough. And I think that his urgency, his processing of elimination, his process of getting through his reads, progression, and his timing needs to all be better. I don't see a guy who plays with enough urgency on the field. I don't see uh, him utilizing his. Athletic ability like he's capable of using in pushing the pocket in extending the pocket in extending plays I feel like he's a guy who's really leaned on sitting back in the pocket and Having patience, but he's not playing In New England and he's not Tom Brady and he doesn't have Tom Brady's offensive line and so it's one of those things where he's got to develop and look to work faster from within the pocket and to be more accurate. And that comes with, hey, proper footwork, proper timing, and proper release. And even if you look at yesterday's game and we started out first drive, he had a great opportunity to hit Marquise Goodwin on the sideline on a sale route, on a seven-route, corner-route type concept, and he overthrows him. That leads to a first down right there you talk about your first 15 and going into a game with your preparation and mindset, knowing what you have in the first 15 set of plays. And when you're going three and out consistently, and in that first half you had, I believe 16 total offensive plays and 0 for four on third down, it comes back to your quarterback and decision-making and accuracy. And if you're not able to establish that, then you better get back to what you have within your team and what's going to give you a better option. But right now, Brian is the best option. I don't think it's a time that where they go to C.J. Beathard. It's not that time. Uh, Brian is the guy that has to battle through these inconsistencies, and he's got to battle through. Uh, his level of play needs to step up to another level.
0: Yeah, so the Four ers have a short turnaround probably – Good news for Brian Hoyer that he can get back out there. Uh, the 49ers play Thursday against the L.A. Rams. Do you know since December of 2015, the 49ers are 3-0 against the L.A. Rams, or I guess one of those games was against the St. Louis Rams, and they're 0-19 against the rest of the NFL. So what do they have to do on Thursday to keep that streak against the Rams going and, and break into the win column for Kyle Shanahan?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, they're playing a much improved Rams team. I mean, this is a different LA Rams football team than what was out there last year. First of all, the quarterback position is playing much better. And everybody knows of Jared Goff. He's a Bay area kid. I'm sure he's excited to return home to play in the Bay and, and showcase what they're able to do. And you got a running back in Todd Gurley, who's a strong, physical, explosive guy who's playing with, I think, new vigor and excitement based upon the scheme that they're playing with there in L.A. And you have a defense, a defensive line that is as good as they get in the National Football League and a very active secondary and linebacker group playing under playing under one of the great D coordinators to to coach the game. And so this is a much improved LA Rams team under a head coach who Kyle Shanahan knows very well. And so you're going to look at teams that in many ways run similar style of offenses. But as of right now, these first two games of the season, the Rams have been able to do it much better than what the 49ers have been able to do. And I think coming in, this 49er offense, again, they're going to try to establish the run with Carlos. And uh, it's not going to be easy against this D-line. That's a good good front four that, that plays out there in, the, in L.A. And uh, But you have to do it. And I think what they showed yesterday, especially with the center and guard play on a couple of those series, a couple of those drives, running the ball right up the middle, uh was was nice to see and that's something that needs to be built upon and i think going into this thursday's game hey carlos is going to be the guy but we need to get better in the passing game and there needs to be a vertical stretch it can't all be underneath it can't all be dump offs it can't be all slant routes there's got to be a time where you take some shots down the field and you and you try to exploit the seams and that didn't happen yesterday and maybe it was some somewhat because of the bad weather and somewhat just because you were limited on plays you didn't get to extend any drives and really reach into your playbook but hopefully that will be a different situation on this thursday i mean they really have to focus in on getting completions getting the ball out of brian's hands into his playmaker's hands and giving those guys opportunities to run with the ball after the catch and uh You know, it'll be exciting. Uh, It'll be an opportunity to see really where this team, what direction this team is headed and, and measure it up against another NFC West opponent. I mean, this is a situation where we have three division opponents in a row. You can't afford to fall to continue to fall behind losing one after the other.
0: Uh, The 49ers will be on national television for the first and only time this season on Thursday night as they face the Rams. Jeff, it's been great again, and I look forward to seeing you Thursday night at Levi Stadium.
1: Sounds good, Matt. Thanks, buddy. Have a great week. The 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com.